You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Oh, the shark, baby. Has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heat, baby, and it keeps it out of sight. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take. We're Andy Clark and Matt Macklin with you as always. And we're on to our third episode of the week. We're dropping this one on Friday morning before the big fight at Wembley Arena. And the stacked undercard, head, headed of course by Anthony Joshua against against Kubrat Pulev. Big Bob Arum had plenty to say about that the other day. And predicted a comprehensive victory for for Pulev, describing Anthony Joshua as a flawed and shot fighter, uh, which was which was which was very interesting indeed. People have, have found that quite thought provoking, quite entertaining, I think. But Bob has earned the right to say whatever he he pleases, and he does. So we very much enjoy talking to him. It was it was great fun, and we had the one earlier in the week as well with Kevin Mitchell talking about the two fights between Holyfield and Lewis. So very much a heavyweight theme to the podcast this week, and we continue. That today with somebody who's got huge experience of training heavyweights, trains one currently, has trained one in the past to the unified heavyweight titles. He is safely in the bubble because he has passed his COVID test, so all is well with the world. It's Peter Fury. Peter, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, thanks, Andy. And uh, yeah, it's always good to get this COVID test out of the way, to be fair. So uh, the fight, there's nothing stopping the fight now, so we're happy. I think it's... It must be fairly nerve wracking for for everybody, really, because you had a you had a positive a few weeks ago, and I don't think you had any symptoms, did you? So it just makes you think, doesn't it? You know, you can feel as well as you as you can possibly feel, but but you could still um, turn up turn up a negative. A positive, you know what it is, it's very uh, it's very concerning because you put all this work in, you know, to spar literally hundreds of rounds, you know, what they go through. You know, Matt, Matt can verify this. And all of a sudden, you've done your training. The camp's gone good. And you come in this hotel bubble and you're just waiting on a decision which could easily come back and say positive. And it's all down the drain. You know, it's, it says it's a big, uh, carries a big weight that does because it could, could be all for nothing. But, you know, this is, this is the times we're in. But thank God <laughs> everything's okay. That's all I can say. So you've got Huey on the bill, Huey Fury up against Marius Vac, which which I, I think that's an interesting fight. I like that fight. But let, let's have a chat about the top of the bill, first of all. AJ against Pulev. 
So they, these two were supposed to box three years ago. Um, Pulev picked up a shoulder injury about 10, 12 days out and was replaced by by Carlos Takam. If they'd met at that point, I would have made that a very dangerous fight for Joshua because he wasn't as experienced. Pulev was that bit younger. He got very good fundamentals, Pulev. He was a very good amateur and he's only lost once and that was to Vladimir Klitschko. But three years down the line, Personally, I think his threat has diminished. How do you see it? Well, I see Pulev. He's a very confident man. Um, he will have trained hard for this fight. And uh, he's got that belief he can win, especially looking at what Andy Ruiz Jr. did in the first fight. So I think he's looking at that and his confidence will be right up. But, you know, I think where he's going to get a bit of a shock is uh, the, the hand speed of Joshua. You know that's 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 where he's uh, that's where I think the difference in his fight's going to be is the hand speed, and um, because Joshua does hold a lot of power in them shots. So if he can, if he can find his range and get the shots through, then you know it's, it's going to be it's going to end one end one way. But saying that, Pula's got a very good jab, and he's got a, he's he's learned from that Klitschko fight because he got caught badly with the hook, didn't he? The left hook, and you see now he's he's well uh, he's well guarded. But it's all right being guarded from a distance, you know, with a single jab so you can see things coming. It's when things start to get closed in the range and, you know, you step in with step in behind the shots and then put them in. That's where I think uh, Pulev's going to struggle when you close his distance down. But if he gives Pulev too much respect, it'll be a very hard night's work because Pulev is as good a boxer as any man going, you know, at a distance. So I think what Joshua's got to do, he's got to look at the age gap. He's got to look at the... The, the speed difference in the hands and he's got to he's got to take it to him he's got to come behind that double jab and go again you know to land them shots because he'll be very difficult to land on um, Pula from a distance because he, he's an in and out type of boxer with that jab he puts a jab in he steps back well you know it's very uh, very textbook but what he does textbook he does it to perfection if you like so with, with fighters like that you've got to get inside so one thing that me and Matt were discussing the other day, and this chimes in with what you just said there, if Joshua steps in and imposes himself and, and, and uses those quick hands, then that's the way to that's the way to, to beat Pulev and maybe beat him with, with something to spare. Do you think that he's still a bit wary about doing that after what happened against Ruiz the first time? I, I know he's avenged the defeat, but he didn't do it like that, did he? He did the opposite. He stayed on the outside. And he boxed him. So the last time he stepped in on someone, we all know what happened. I mean, how how hard is it to get past that, do you think? Well, you know, obviously Pulev doesn't hit nowhere near as hard as Andy Ruiz Jr. So there is uh, there is that. But all heavyweights can punch, you're right. So if he makes a mistake and gets clipped up the side of the head somewhere, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. But I, I, I doubt it. I think uh, what Joshua's got to do, he's got to use that jab. You know, you, look, you've got to box your way in. And, and that's it you know he's got to he's, you know you just can't walk into a brick wall can you or walk into a bus you're going to get it back you know it's, it's how you come in but you know they know what they're doing you know he's he's at that level he's got a good boxing brain on him Joshua he knows and it's, it's got to be a calculated move all that I'm saying is he can't afford to just sit back and have a jibber jabber contest because one it'll be a, a boring night's affair and it could be neck and neck but saying that Pulev might have other ideas and he might come out looking for Joshua straight away. 
And if that happens, obviously Joshua's got a lot quicker hands. So that then it could end early. So we just uh, just depends who lands first. So I know I've gone in and out, up and down, all around. <laughs> but that, that's the only way I can describe what what can happen, what can go wrong, and, and different strategies. We just don't know what both of them's going to bring. That's it, uh, Matt. We just have to we have to wait and see. And that that's the same for that's the same for for any fight. We, were you surprised by what Bob said to us the other day? That uh, I know Pulev's his guy, and and he does like to he does like to put the cat amongst the pigeons, uh, Mr. Aram, certainly. But he was he was very gung-ho. Yeah, well, Bob's a promoter and he's Pulev's promoter. You know what I mean? So he's kind of selling it. And people like Bob Aram, they, they nearly persuade you that black was white. You know what I mean? These, these, are, these are powerful talkers. <laughs> yeah. And they can make a strong case, you know. But, you know, what Pete is saying there and, and, and what we, we were talking about even about the Ruiz fight. It's horses for courses. It's styles and tactics in fighting. Everyone's different. That's why you have to be, you can't be a one-trick pony. Or you can be, mate, but you you know, your day will come when you meet someone that you have to be able to adjust and adapt. Now, what Joshua did in the rematch in Saudi was perfect for that fight and was perfect. He, He learned from the first fight with Ruiz where don't go into a shootout. Don't go into an exchange with a guy who's got shorter arms and he's got fast hands. Don't hook with a hooker. Keep it long. Box him at range. Then when you get close, tie him up. Don't get stuck in that mid-distance with a guy who's got shorter arms and faster hands. That's where he wants to, to be. You don't want to be there. But like Peter said, someone like Pulev, very experienced amateur, good long range, good at long range, good with his straight shots, a bit slower, a bit more bloody. This is completely different now. Joshua does want to be at that mid-distance. He does want to get into a, a shootout. He does want to exchange and put combinations together. So this tactically, game plan-wise, is a completely different fight to the Ruiz one. So, yeah, it, you know, listen, Bob Arum's a promoter. We're talking, you know, Peter's a trainer. So Peter's thinking tactics. He's thinking game plan. You know what I mean? He's thinking 12 rounds. Where, as, as an can chat that with him and I know exactly what he's saying. Bob Aram's a promoter, you know what I mean? So he's going to look for the weakness in in, in Joshua yeah. and then he's going to, you know, throw petrol on it and he's going to twist it and turn it and promote it and, and make us believe that his guy's going to win because that's what a promoter does, you know. But look, I think, I think Joshua, you know, as long as he goes about the job properly and doesn't switch off and he stays focused, I, I think Joshua will win this fight. So let's let's move on to to Huey's fight against Marius Vac um, on the on the undercard. There's a few heavyweight fights on the card, Bacoli against Kuzmin as well. When this one was made, I've kind of liked this one from the beginning because we saw Marius Vac in Saudi against Dillian White, and yes, he is getting on a bit in age these days. But we chatted to him at the fighter meeting, which doesn't always tell you much, but sometimes can be quite illuminating. And he was saying how he changed trainer, he was training differently, he'd been doing hypnotherapy or something like that you know he, he just described this whole kind of overhaul that he that he'd gone through and then on the night he showed us that he does still want it Dillian wasn't possibly at his best because it was fairly short notice but Vac gutted out and toughed out 10 solid rounds and if you don't want it anymore you don't do that um how much say did you have into into Vac as the as the opponent Peter 
No, he, he come up as an opponent. We got offered him, and um, you know we accepted that fight. So you know you're absolutely absolutely right with Vac. He comes to win. He trains hard, and he's not coming as an opponent. You know he's got that he's got that thing with him. He he wants to win every fight. And like you said, with the fight against Dillian White, he was in the fight, and even towards the very end, he started coming on strong as well. So you know, like you said, he took some punishment as uh, also. So he's a he's a good opponent, is uh, Vac. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's ever going to be no world champion, is he? But unless you're on your A game, he can give you problems. You know, so if you're going in there thinking for this guy's forty, you know, it's uh, he's had his chance, he's shot. That'd be the worst mistake anybody could make because then Vac is going to give you a nightmare. So, like I said, we've not underestimated Marius Vac. We know all about him. We know he's in good shape. We know he's fit. How he trains. We know about he's got a new trainer, he's dietitian, just like you said. I don't I, I look into the fights no matter I, I don't care if he's fighting a bumblebee. I'll have a look at it <laughs> I'll have a look at it inside upside down because that's what you've got to do. So we know what uh Vac's all about. So it's not gonna be it won't be a walk in the park, but he's gotta just um he's just gotta keep chipping away at that tree, you know. I I have a saying. You know, if you wield an axe at a tree, it doesn't come down in one shot, these big trees. But if you keep persisting them, enough things become relevant. And, uh, you know, mid to late rounds, we could see a different story. But certainly it's not going to be a jibber-jabber contest. You know, you need to bring it to whack and, uh, you know, it's going to be a good fight, this. And although Huey's been in with, with higher-profile fighters than Vac, this would be his biggest win. I... I, I I think, wouldn't it, if he gets it? Who, Yui? Yeah. Well, um, it's hard to say, you know, looking back over his career, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good level of uh, opposition, is Vac. So it's a, it's a good fight for Yui, for sure. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to The Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Matt, we saw that fight against Dillian White with um, with, with Vac in December, uh, and it was an entertaining watch. It was a good watch, and, and everything that P- Peter said there, and I was saying at the start that it the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? And that's only it's a year ago, but of course circumstances have been have been exceptional. But he showed us in Saudi that that he's still up for it, and and if he brings that on Saturday, it should be a good a good watch. Yeah, look, he's, had another, he's had another win since then as well, hasn't he? So he's up for this fight, Vac. And that's what we want for you. We don't want people to fall over. So it's a good fight for him. And I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things in a fighter is ambition. You know what I mean? And you see it in the older fighters. Like, you know, you're bringing guys through and you're matching them. And you're thinking you want him to have a test. Someone that's experienced, that knows more than he does, that's going to teach, that's going to, you know, bring him, a, but he hasn't got enough ambition maybe to stay in there, tough it and get the win. You know, he, he's he's cute enough and experienced enough 
to, to teach him a few tricks and to causing problems, but you're hoping that your guy that you're managing or you're bringing through is that he's, he's, he's fresher, he's more ambitious. Ambitious be, ambition being such a key part of it because boxing's hard, it's brutal, it's terrible in there. You know, the thing that gets you through... <laughs> is your ambition, you know, your ambition, you want it and you dig in because you want it so much, that's ambition. When that ambition is gone, you might be an old pro and you're hard and you're tough and you've got pride, so you'll stick it out. And you'll stick it out. But you're, there's levels of how deep you'll go. So, you know, when you see someone like we did in Saudi, like Vac, who's there and he's talking about making changes to his team and he's bringing things in and he's changing how he does things, that tells you, hmm, this guy's still got ambition. He still wants to do things. So that makes him more dangerous. So we're in the fight with Dillian White. Peter's right. He did start coming on towards the end. Now, I think Dillian probably underperformed. He coming too heavy and whatever. But it shows you the fact he's still got ambition and he's experienced. So they're two things that make him dangerous. So this is a good fight for Huey. And, I, you know, I think Huey definitely wins it. But I think he, he won't have it all his own way for the whole fight, which is good because, you know, it'll make him... We'll see the little adjustments and improvements that Huey's made. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to the whole card, actually. And, of course, you could catch that on Sky Sports Box Office on Saturday night. Uh, but we'll, we'll change tack now because the main reason that we got Peter on, me and Matt, was because we were wanting to address a subject which has been a hot topic in boxing over the last couple of weeks in, in British boxing. And it's a subject that recurs regularly. And that really is the issue of how much can we reasonably expect fighters to give in the ring? How far can we expect them to go with regard to the danger that they put themselves in? And obviously this has been provoked by the Daniel Dubois-Joe-Joyce fight and there was a lot of debate following that. What we're not doing today, and I don't want to be in any way confused about this or for people to be unclear, we are not going to pick through individual examples and decide he quit, he didn't, she quit, she didn't. Because that for me, that kind of approach, that really is the problem because this is not a binary issue. It's not a simple yes or no. It's not black and white. There are, there are so many layers to this for a number of different reasons. And, and I do think that kind of polarity that people tend to go in for now, not just in sport, and not just in conversations about sport, but but about anything really, is 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 problematic. Everybody seems to want to be either on one side or the other. Either you support something or you don't. Either somebody's the best or they're shit. And it's not, you know, life life isn't as simple as that. Quite quite simply. Um, so this this is, you know, it's it's a complex issue. Andy Lee spoke well about it at the weekend when he referred to MMA and the fact that in MMA you tap out to prevent serious injury to basically further the rest of your career and nobody has a problem with that in other sports all athletes have to manage pain but if they feel a pain that they know means that they have sustained a serious injury and they know that if they continue there will be serious repercussions it might shorten their career it might put them out for a spell then they will stop they will stop immediately and they'll be criticized heavily if they don't stop but boxing is different and you can't apply the same logic and rationality to boxing that you can to other sports. And that's what makes this hard because boxers don't have that same logic and rationale. They don't follow those same logical protocols as, as, as the likes of me. If they did, they wouldn't do it. 
It's as simple as that. If, if fighters thought that way, nobody would ever do it. Nobody would ever get in the ring and take those risks. So it's crucial to get the fighter's viewpoint from Matt. And the trainers too, because the trainer's not in there taking punches, but they have the fighter's welfare in their hands. And that's an enormous responsibility. But again, it's not as simple as, as soon as you think they might be getting hurt, pull them out. That's no good. You can't do that because they want to win. And also... The trainer wants the win for the fighter, not at the expense of their health, but there will be times when the fighter will think they haven't got any more left and the trainer will think, yes, you have. Yes, you have. It's their job to try and elevate them to to greater heights and make them dig deeper than they possibly think they can. So that's the kind of fine line they they have to tread. So all in all, as I say, there's there's all in all, as I say, there's 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 a lot involved. There's a lot to talk about. Um, first question then and I'll come to you with this one Peter do you think that there is a need now for the boxing public to change their ideas when it comes to what we should expect from fighters is this go out on your shield idea Um, fighters should be carried out rather than be counted out is that out of date now is that is that unreasonable to expect yeah, I said I'm going to be black and white with it. So, and I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. MMA and boxing is totally different. So, there's no comparison whatsoever. You're going to get your arm snapped in two. So, yeah, you're going to you're going to pop out of it, aren't you? You're going to you're going to do that. So, that's a sensible option. So, but that's not boxing. You know, look, you know, boxers are a unique sport. That's why I'm involved in it because it's a gladiatorial sport. You know, and it is. You're going out there. So if you're training fighters then and you say to them, listen, you know, if you're feeling, um, you know, you don't feel so good, this, that and the other, you know, you know, take a knee. And if you get it and, you know, you just don't feel good, take a knee and get out of there. Then to me, it's shithouse material. You know, you're not going to be a world champion. As simple as that. If you've got that attitude and mindset and you're told, listen, I'm not into all the liberal bollocks anyway. Yeah. We're into a fighting man sport. And that's what we're here to do, you know. 300 Spartans, yeah? When all them millions of Persians come running over the hill, they turn away and fuck off and run a mile and shit themselves. No, they've gone down in history, yeah? They're legends, aren't they? And forever being implanted there in history. Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, Jack Dempsey, Jack Johnson, you know? None of them shithouses, are they? You know, all great warriors of the sport. So, you know, people involved in fighting and everything else... That's it. The referee's in there to make that decision, not the fighter. You know, you've got a corner there and you've got a referee there. You know, you just, you know, you keep going. You know, look at Yui against Pulev. The referee come over after the second round. He said, you've got one more round. I'm going to stop it. This is very bad. Yeah? Because his eyelid flapped over his eye. So we couldn't, Kerry Cage couldn't get it to hold up. He couldn't put it back up. He kept flapping open. So I said to Kerry, I said, just stop the bleeding. I said, clean it up. Yeah? And he goes out there and he done another 10 rounds. You know, very easily could have pulled him out of the fight. But in the eighth, you hit him with the right hand and shook uh, Pulev. You know, if the referee hadn't come and said, look, I'm going to stop you. And I said to you, he go out and try and get rid of him because you've got a round, you've got a round left. You shot his bolt. But there's not, no time did we think about pulling him out of it. You know, so, you know, I look, if a fighter's got... Um, shooting pains coming through his eye and this and that, I can understand. 
But that clearly wasn't shown to me in that fight. You know, another thing you've got to look at, and I'm not criticising him one, one at all. He's 23 years of age. It was a step too high for him. And there was no plan B there. He was looking for the knockout. It didn't come. And he got sickened with that Joe Joyce jab. And that jab of Joe Joyce's is an horrific jab. He's got a fantastic jab. So, and he puts all of 18 stone seven behind that jab. So it's like being constantly hit with a steady right hand. So I can understand he got demoralised. But look, he got jabbed, he turned away, he went on one knee. And he didn't say into the corner before that, you know, I don't know what he was saying in the corner, but I can quite assure you I know Martin Bowers as well. And if he said, I've got excruciating pain running through my eye, yeah, Martin Bowers would have pulled it. You know, if my son said that to me in the corner Saturday, Dad, I've got pains running through the back of my mind, back of my brain, and he says that, I'm going to stop it immediately. I've got my son's health to think about. But if nobody's saying anything to me, and it's a swelled eye, get out there. Get out there, get it done. And also, getting up, he stayed on that floor, he's in his senses, and he got up at 10 to be counted out. You know, why did he not do it in the corner? So we can all look at all of this. I think that young fellow will grow from that, and he can only improve. And this is why young fighters sometimes can be put in over the red. But for him, he can come back again. But that's not... That's not beat around the bush for me you know a fighter's got to get in there he's got to be prepared to put his life on the line he's got to give it all because to be a world champion that's how you've got to be you can't be a world champion saying well oh, if I'm getting it a bit sticky in here you know I'm going to I'm going to come up with an injury and say, get out of it that's not the way this job works that's not why people pay you know to watch our sport our sport is a realistic sport and yeah it is you've got your life on the line but that's it. We all know that when you get a professional license. You know, my son's in it. I'm going to look after him to the best of my ability. But I'm not going to go in there with a yellow feather up my back thinking if he's going to get hurt, I'm pulling him out. No, what I'm going to say is, yeah, man up, get out there and get the job done. But I've never had that conversation because it's built into my kids from being babies. Yeah, that's it. That's the way we are. You know, you're a fighting man. You're a fighting man. He's not a fighting man. Get out the kitchen, isn't it? If you if you have to say that, it's probably already too late, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You never have to say it. You're right, Matt. But you know you're a fighter yourself. You've been in some sticky situations. Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm going to get out of here? No. You haven't, have you? Well, here you are. Well, did, did, did... This is exactly what makes this so interesting for me because you two are different to me. The three of us are different. You two are you two are fighting men. I'm not, and I will always look at things in a, in a different way from that from that point of view. So, Matt, I'd imagine you you chime in with what Peter says there that basically this is quite simply this is this is boxing. You sign up, you know the risks, and just let me say this to you, Andy. There's another side of the coin as well. And from your point of view, I can understand, look, you're going to get injured in there. If you're going to get injured, the sensible thing is to pull out. But that's not what this sport is about. If you want to be a world champion, that's not the mindset, I'm afraid. So you either tune in or if they don't like it, go and watch something else because this is a sport we're in. And come Saturday, my son will, will go on his shield 100%. There's no, there's no quitting in this camp. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. But you encourage him though, you encourage him to be totally honest with you, as in because you would want to hear it, like you just said there, if he said to you, I've got a pain in my eye or in my head and I don't really know what it is, it's freaking me out. I mean, you, you would then you would then make that decision for him. Oh, 100%. I've even gone through issues with him and I said, look, if you get it with the right hand, yeah, or you get it with a hook, I said, and don't try and be brave, I said, trying to show the crowd you're not hurt or anything like that. I said, if you see your balance going up and down, I said, you take your knee, you take a deep breath, you get your senses, you get up at six, put your hands up, step forward to the referee. We've gone through all of that if them if them criteria happen. I've also said to him, if you're feeling, you know, any kind of brain thing in there, you, you tell me. And when he comes back to the corner, I'm not, I'm not in the early rounds, but if he's taking shots, even with a Povetkin fight, I said to him, how do you feel? I said, answer me, speak back to me. And all this time a fighter speaking back to you, and it's clear, you know when he speaks back to you, that it's not a problem. So... Sorry about that. I've, this flight mode's gone off. But, you know, you, you're in touch with a fighter every round and you're looking for all these symptoms. And, you know, if the fighter, you know, you speak to the fighter, he doesn't answer back. Then you say, hey, you know, look at me. You look in their eyes and everything else. You know, that's what you're there to do. So, yeah, the precautions are taken and you do ask. And I say to him, if you are feeling shooting pains or anything that's not normal, tell me about it. But, you know, thank God that's not happened. So it's, it's, I mean, it seems more than anything that it's, it's that honesty and trust between the fighter and the trainer that is the most important thing here then. That, that is what can prevent these kind of unfortunate incidents occurring. A trainer's mindset on this and boxers are very different. As a boxer, you're in that fight. You're going to war. You're going to have a fight here. When I was fighting, I would rather get stretched out the ring winning than walking out losing because winning, I mean, that's a win. It's boxing. It's brutal. I know how brutal this can be. And I, I don't want it to get that brutal. I don't want to get beaten up, but I'm prepared for that to happen. If that's what it takes, I know how deep I might have to dig. You know, when I lost to Jamie Moore, I got knocked out in the 10th round of a grueler. The, the next thing I remember, I'm in an ambulance and I can't, the, the oxygen mask wasn't on me properly. At the time, the girl I was with and my brother were in, the, were in there with me. And I remember saying to the ambulance man, please don't let me die. Then the next thing I remember was coming to in hospital. I'm on a drip and, you know, my family, friends, Billy Graham, Ricky Hatton, everyone was there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I went to the well many, many times after that in other fights what I'm saying, but yeah, every single week, and you'll know this more than anyone, Andy, because I'm with you. I'm always saying, I'd like to see the corner pull him out now, or I'd like to see a bit of compassion here in the corner, or the last thing a brave fighter needs is a brave cornerman. And that is true. Uh, you know, but as a fighter, you can't be feeling like that or thinking, oh, you know, I've had enough now and it's a bit hard in here. Maybe I've had, no, no, no. As a fighter, you've got to be willing to go to that bitter end. Then it's your cornerman's job to stop you from being too brave. When once the fight is lost, 
And it's, you know, I'm not queasy or faint-hearted or I don't want a tough fight. I, I, I've been in brutal fights and I've, I've watched brutal fights, you see. You know, but, but look, Joe Frazier against Muhammad Ali, thriller in Manila, a brutal fight. Probably ahead on the cards, right? But the tide had turned and it was getting hard. Now, Joe Frazier was never, ever going to stop trying to win that fight. But Eddie Futch knew it, it, it was too tight a line. So he stopped the fight with one round to go. He stopped it because he put his fighter's health before the win. Do you understand? So that was fantastic. One of the best pieces of corner work there's ever been, right? You know, but there's other times when it, it's, it's brutal in there and it's neck and neck. Well, you stay in. Or another time, it might not be that brutal, but it's so one-sided and my guy can't punch. So what am I leaving him in there for just to get a pasty? I know he can't win. He's behind on the cards. He hasn't got a puncher's chance. Nah, I'll save him for another day. It's it's a judgment call. And there's, there's a lot of different variables that you've got to consider. If it's a world title fight and it's neck and neck on the cards and there's two rounds to go and it's really brutal, you might leave him in there. Or if he's behind on the cards, but he's a massive one-punch banger, you might leave him in there a little bit longer because he's still in the fight. He's got a puncher's chance. It's a world title fight. It's going to be fucking brutal. We all we all signed that waiver beforehand. Do you know what I mean? As a fighter, you signed the waiver. I expect it to be brutal. Now, the Dubois fight, for example, on the night, I remember thinking, mm, the tide's turned here. You know, he, he uh, his cornerman was saying to him, listen, son, this is the fight game. You know, it sounded like he the, the will was starting to leave him and he was being talked in as a viewer watching on the TV. So I thought, oh, when he, when, he, when he chose not to continue by taking the knee, you know, I thought, hmm, that, that's, that's, that's going to come back to haunt him because once he's quit once, you know, it's, it's in him, he might not do it again. Now, the benefit of hindsight in the days that have followed, we found out that he had nerve damage and he, he broke his orbital bone or fractured his eye socket or whichever it was. Now, I'm guessing that was an excruciating, abnormal level of pain that he's thought, fucking hell, something's gone wrong here. This doesn't feel right. And he's stuck because he's worried about doing permanent damage. Completely understandable and acceptable. That is not the same as quitting because it got hard. That's choosing not to continue for the future of your, your eyesight and, and, and things. It's different. So it's it's not... But, but I agree with Peter as well. You can't compare someone tapping out in MMA who's gone about to get his legs snapped with someone... With it being a bit, you know, just quitting in boxing because it's getting hard. And I'm not saying that's what Dubois did because he did, he obviously had the injury. Again, that's different. So there's not always, there's not just one answer to these things. There's there's lots of different variables that you've got to take into account. Just like as a cornerman, if you're pulling someone out or not, that there's a lot of things to take into account. Is your guy still in the fight? Can he still win? Has he, you know, has he got the power? He's, you know, he's blind in the cards, but he's a big puncher or... You know, is he young? Do I want to save him for another day? Or is he old and he doesn't need to prove it anymore? Is he old and actually he's all right in there and he's he's a proud man and he can tough it out? You know, there's a lot of different things that you've got to take into account. And that's why there's not one answer because there's so many different variables to consider. No, I think that's right. I don't I don't think there is one answer, and that's that's what I was getting at at the start. But it would seem from from what Peter was saying that the ideal dynamic in the corner is 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 honesty between the fighter and the trainer that way you can you can make the best decision but honestly when you were fighting would you ever 
have said to your trainer, listen, I just, I'm not sure what's happening here. I'm feeling something here I've not felt before because most fighters, they won't do that. And that makes it hard for trainers. Well, that's right. You've got to judge it yourself. And also, if your fighter's getting a pasting in there, he's definitely not winning at all. Why are you going to see him getting beat to death for the full course of the 10 rounds? If he's not in it, you know, pull him out of it. There's no point in your fighter getting punched all around the head if he's got no chance of winning. He's not in it. So you, you've got to make these decisions. That's why I say, you is a type of fighter where he wouldn't tell me anything. I know what he's like. If he had, I think if he had brain damage, he wouldn't say a thing. He'd just stand there, take his water, and he'd get out there. But you've got to look at fighters' personalities and know how they tick. So it's up to you to make that decision. That's why I'm talking in his ear all the time. I'm making him speak back to me. I'm looking in his eyes. I'm looking at what shots he's taken and everything else. So it is. It's your... It's your call. You're in there. You've got to make the right decision. And Matt's right. You're the trainer. You're not the fighter. You don't need the bravest trainer in the world. Yeah, because you've got to be sensible in there. You know, you, you are dealing in a very serious sport, especially in the heavyweight division. So you've got to be switched on and, um, and know your fighter inside out and know exactly how it's going. But yeah, if you're getting beat, I remember a prime example when um, Tyson fought Chisora the second time. Now, I held Tyson back in that fight. I said, look, I said, just let him walk into a lot of trouble. I said, and he did. And Chisora took a lot of punishment in that fight. So after the 10th round, because he kept saying to me, Tyson, I, I can stop this one. I want to go and stop him. I said, no. I said, he's still there, Chisora. I said, just box. And after the 10th round, I said, right. I said, now go and take him out. I said, because he's spent. Now, Don Charles pulled his man out, which was absolutely uh, the right thing to do because he was going to get opened up properly. So basically, it was a right decision. So again, you know, it's up to the trainers to know what they're doing in that corner. But, you know, really, it is down to the trainer and it's down to the referee in there to say, because a lot of fighters just, you know, they like that. They won't, uh, they won't tell you what's going on. Two examples, a couple of examples I want to speak about, Andy. You'll you'll know the not fight I'm thinking of. I can't remember the fight, but there was a there's another thing to, 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 worth mentioning. Fighters are proud men. Do you understand? They don't. So, and this is comes with the cornerman making that decision, taking it out of his. And you don't. And you want your fighter to be the proud man and not to quit and and all that to have that fight in him. But this is when you, as a trainer, have to have a compassion and make a judgment call and think, nah. He ain't going to win. It's getting hard. I'll save him for another day. Or, or whatever your reasons are for, for stopping that fight. There was a fight a while back. It was during the fight camp. I can't remember which one it was. And it was so one-sided. And it was getting brutal. He'd been down. He, he, the, he could have been stopped only the ball had saved him. And he comes back to the corner. And he says to him, how are you feeling? You okay? And he, the body language said, I'm not okay. But he went, and he goes, you, work, you okay? You okay? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to go on? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he didn't want to quit. And then he'd done it again in the next round, the next round. And I was thinking to myself, stop asking him if he's okay. He's obviously not okay. We can see he's not okay. We're not his trainer. We're the commentators. We, everyone can see he's not okay. Stop asking him if he's okay. The fact that you keep asking him tells me you know he's not okay. Let him keep his pride. Don't make him quit. He doesn't want to quit. He's not going to quit because he's too proud to quit. Well, the fight's been knocked out of him. It's your job now as the corner to stop the fight. Take that decision out of his hands. Don't, mate, don't wait till he quits because he's not going to quit. He's too proud. 
but you're the his trainer. Have some compassion. Let your fighter keep his pride and stop that fight. That's what I was thinking in my head, and I said it to you when we, Andy, when we put the, the mics down. Now I'll give you two examples as well. Uh, another thing, Billy, Billy. When I fought um, Billy, when I fought Jamie Moore, you know, I was absolutely fucked in the end. There was nothing left whatsoever. I got pushed down. I, not even not before the knockout. I got pushed to the floor. I was completely spent and exhausted. You know, since then, Billy Graham has said to me, listen, Matt, I'm sorry about that fight. I let you down. I should never have let you out for that 10th round. He knows he shouldn't have that time. Now, Buddy McGirt, when I fought Sergio Martinez, this is a world title fight. You know, going into that 11th round, it was nip and tuck. I was around, officially, I was one round down on two of the cards and I was three up on the other one. You know, I remember thinking it's a round either way. Right, but in, in that 11th round, I got dropped twice at the end of the round, but he was starting to catch up with me anyway. He'd, I was getting a bit tired and whatever. So that would have been a 10-7 round. Now, Buddy, when I sat down in the corner, Buddy McGurk goes, uh, sit down, and then Buddy goes, that's it, I'm stopping the fight. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm all right. He goes, no, I'm stopping the fight. And I go, but I'm all right. And then Seamus, my brother, and Brian Peters both went, no, that's it, it's over. They were strong, you know what I mean? Now. At that point, I backed down. But Buddy was obviously thinking, you know, Buddy's been in brutal fights, but he knows this is a world title fight. But I've just got dropped twice. It's 10-7. The pattern of the fight had changed. It worked me out or I was getting tired. And he knew that was a 10-7 round. There's one round left to go. I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win the fight on points. I'm not going to knock him out because I've never looked like knocking him out for the, for the, for the 11 rounds previous. I'm not going to suddenly knock him out now in the 12th when the, when the tide has turned. And I can't win it on points. Plus, I've been put down twice. So there's 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 a there's a fair likelihood he's gonna step on the gas now and go for it and try and knock me out. So Buddy's thought, nah, he's done, it's over, fight's over, and he stopped me. Now, had he let me go out, maybe I would have got knocked out, you know what I mean? So I'm just giving the difference between the, the Jamie Moore one and the, the the Sergio Martinez one, one where Billy Shouldn't have let me out for that 10th round because I'd gone above and beyond and there was absolutely nothing left. So why send me back out? And he's, you know, he, he said that to me and admitted that to me since then. Comparison to Buddy, it's a world title fight. There's only one round to go. It's been nip and tuck. But you've just been put down twice. The tide has turned. You can't win on points. You ain't going to knock him out because you haven't looked like knocking him out for the 11 rounds previous. That'll do you. You understand, but even as a fighter, I still wanted to go on in that Martinez fight. I'm in Madison Square Garden. Oh, nah, I want to keep going. But when Brian Peters, my manager, and Seamus both kind of went, no, and Buddy, I knew then, well, what can I do? It's probably the right call or, you know, they've made the decision for me. But like, like I say, I, I, I hate it. I, like, like, as Peter's saying there, you speak to you speak to your fighter and he knows, and he knows he's some better than anyone. But, that 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 other, comparing that to, that that's different to when the other trainer kept saying, kept asking him, "Are you okay?" or "Hey, like stop fucking asking him." Obviously, he's not okay. You know, if you have to, if you keep asking him, that means tells me you already know he's not okay. Let him keep his pride. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I know you you are right, but you know what it comes down to, Matt? It comes down to being fucking competent. You know, you get an idiot in the corner, don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of cheerleaders around today that want to just tag on to famous people and want to be get the, they want to be more famous than the than the fighter. 
you know, when you get this happen and then when the shit hits the fan, things go wrong. You know, got to got to make that tactical decision. You're right, got to protect that fighter. That's your job. That's what you're there to do. You know, you, you're policing that fight and you do got to do it to the best of your ability. And you know, look, we can all look at fights and you think, and I've said it myself, you know, this fight needs to be stopped because one-way track, you get his head punched off and we're probably talking about the same fight, actually, you know. And I comment on the fights because I sit at home and I comment with the fans on the fights. And, you know, if the, if you're slogging a dead horse, why take unnecessary punishment? you got no chance of winning. You're in with a puncher. He's taking serious shots around the head. What's the point in holding him in there? Let's just call it a day, isn't it? You know, if it's a 10-round fight or a 12-round fight, you're eight, you're seven, eight rounds into it, doing no good whatsoever, getting an idea, pull them out. You're not going to win. Why, why, why just go to the end to get to get more of a beating when you can risk brain damage? If you're not in the fight, you're not in it. You shouldn't be in there. Overmatch. Better, better man. No point in getting beat to death. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, new guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. So what sort of role? I, I, I know how... I know how it works in that only the referee can stop the fight and the referee will stop the fight on occasion on the advice of the doctor. They will generally take the advice of the doctor. But do you think there's more scope for doctors becoming more involved and giving their opinion more? I mean, in the corner in a hard fight, they'll get called over if there's a bad cut uh, to have a look at the cut. That can happen mid-round. In between rounds, they're kind of there, aren't they? Or are they observing, having a look, seeing what they think? Will they... Should they be able to give their opinion more stridently, even if it's not really asked for, if they think this corner work's not good enough, this needs to be stopped? I think the Boxing Board of Control, I think we've got the most safety standards in world boxing right now. You know, what happened to, um, I'm bad with names at the moment, uh, the other guy who fought uh, Chris Eubank, uh, Watson. You know, what happened there? And, you know, we've seen some incidents, other incidents as well. I really think that they've, they've shaped up. You've got the best ringside medics there. You know, if anything looks to be serious, you know, they are on it. You know, the referees are trained as well to look for serious damage. They can intervene at any time and pull the doctor over, you know, to speak, to speak to the corners and everything. So it is, it's, uh, I think it's very well pleased. You know, it's never going to be perfect. Because one punch, you know, they can go down on the floor and they can come on them later. You just don't know with their boxing, you know, blood clots can appear later on after the fight. You know, they can go home, all of a sudden start feeling dizzy, start feeling sick, you know, end up in the hospital and not at the fight. So, like I said, it's just, this is a sport that we're in. And unfortunately, the same with anything, you know, you don't get in your car and drive down the road and think that's the last trip you're going to make. But a lot of people end up dying in car crashes every year. You know, the motorway is full of them, aren't they? But you still go on the motorway, don't you? So you can go on forever with this. Like I said, You've just it's a sport, it's a sport we're in, and you as a trainer, everyone involved needs to take a look at all this and do the best they can for the fighter. That's that's all you can do. 
But Matt Peter mentioned competency levels there. And is it possibly the case that stronger action should be taken or action should be taken by the board against poorly performing corners in, in this regard? You know, could licences be suspended or removed? I yeah. think so. I think, yeah, the board definitely needs to look at it because uh, if you're incompetent and that fella's getting an idea, you know, you're looking at the fight. They're not blind, are they? You know, so look at the fight and see what's happening in there. And, you know, you have got to be in that fighter's interest. You know, and even, look, you know, I, I've, look, you know, but my fighters have said to me in the past, especially you, Dad, if you ever pull me out, I'll never speak to you as long as I live again. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's told me. But that's a pinch of salt. He'll have to stop speak to me for the rest of his life because... He's my lad. And even if he's not my lad, it could be Savannah Marshall. It can be anybody. I will protect the fighter. Whether they want to fall out with me, I don't care. I will make the call. If they're in serious danger and they're just slogging a dead horse and getting nowhere, I'm not going to see him beat to death. That's ridiculous. My, my amateur trainer, Pat, always used to say, the, la- the last, he goes, fir- he goes, first and foremost, he said, your chief second's primary job mm. is to look after his fighter. This, the second job is to talk him through and win the fight. But his first job is to look at is the well-being and to look after his fighter. And he said, never, he goes, you never want to see a cornerman being brave with someone else's body. Like I say, the last thing a brave fighter needs is a brave cornerman. But it's it's um but then then we but then as a fighter, you've got to have that I, I, I'm prepared to die attitude in you. And then the, it's the cornersman to look after you. Do you know what I mean? Now don't get me wrong. Look, for example, the Dubois one, with, with the knowledge we have now, after course he did the right thing because he had the, the orbital bone fracture, the nerve damage. Had he continued, he might have done irreparable damage. You know what I mean? So with with, with that, he's obviously felt an abnormal level of pain where he's thought, oh, something's not right here. You know what I mean? You, you know the levels of pain. So that that's... I think he made a judgment call for the, for the right benefit of his career. But... In terms of the talk about, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You're talking about fighters quitting. The, the, the thing is as well with a fighter, if he quits once, he'll probably quit again. I'm not saying quitting because of the injury, because there's a reason why Dubois did it, because he, he, he quit. He, he stopped because of his, um, you know, to, to not do long-term damage. But if, if a fighter just thinks, oh, I don't really fancy it tonight, it's a bit hard in there, or it's got knackered or that hurt, and quit, like... He's probably in the wrong game because it's always going to get hard. Do you understand? Box, unless boxing's a brutal sport, the name of the game is to knock the other guy out. I mean, it's insane, really, when you think about it, that it, that we all love it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's modern-day gladiators, isn't it? So yeah. it's going to be brutal in there at times. If you want to get to the top and you want to be a world champion, you know, unless you're the slickest, fastest fighter in the world, chances, and even then, chances are one day you're going to be in a brutal fight and you're going to be tested against someone like yourself. And it's like, well, who the fuck wants it the most? Yeah, it's 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 a battle of wills. It's it's but boxing in in many ways is kind of the it's kind of the ultimate expression of a free will because it is one person's will matched up against a, a, another's, and it's it's just as simple as that in in a in a lot of ways. I, I do wonder. Have you had situations in the past, Peter, when you have maybe been training a fighter or a fighter has come to you on trial or something like that, and I'm not looking for names, where you've seen them in operation and just thought, you don't quite have what it takes for this? Um, 
is it quite easy for you to identify whether somebody has got the the required toughness for what is a very, very, very hard sport? It is, and um, it's happened a few times. Uh, we've got we've got a, a fella up. Uh, he was 25, 26, and a uh, big heavyweight, and he was sparring away, and he was taking a lot of uh, shots. So as it went on, and a few weeks passed. And I said to him, I said, why don't you just move? I said, and try this and try that. Anyway, it wasn't working for him. So in the end, I told the lads to spar him just to the body, um, to stop hitting him around the head. And then I spoke to him at length again. And I said, look, I said, um, I said something's clearly not right here. Because even after the body sparring, he was feeling very drained and exhausted. Anyway, I sent him home. And, uh, you know, he, he, he did. He had, um, he had leukemia of, of the bone. Anyway, he had to have a full bone marrow transplant. You know, this kid nearly died. You know, so that gives you one example. The other example, and he wasn't happy with my decision, was Peter McDonough. I told Peter McDonough after the fight, I said, look, you've done well in boxing. You're 40 years of age. You know, if you're having a draw and a neck and neck with a guy like this, it's time for you to hang it up. I said, also in the gym, I said, your enthusiasm's not there. You're cutting corners. I said, so it's time, Peter, you've had enough. I said, I can see you've had enough. So again, he, he went off and, you know, he, went, he, he wasn't happy with what I said, you know, and he ended up having a, a lump behind his ear, you know. So it is your job to look at fighters. Even when, look, even when I get sparring partners, even in this camp here, you know, and I see you, he lands a good shot. And, you know, you can see the legs, all the equivalents gone, the walking. Immediately, I stopped, stopped the sparring. And I say to the kid, rather than letting him get flattened with a follow-up shot, I stop sparring and say to the fellow, yeah, right, walk around the ring. And he, they look at me and he's gone, why, what's up? I said, never mind what's up, just go for a walk around the ring, take 30 seconds off and we go again, you know. And the trainers can be with them in the corner, they ain't saying a word. <laughs> so it's up to you to have that experience to see when the fighter's badly shook. We're not interested in people getting mown down, inspiring and flattened. You know, it's not about that. It's not about people getting hit. It's about doing the best you can in this sport, keeping the fighters safe and letting them, uh, you know, let them have good sparring and good experiences. It ain't about getting flattened in there. Yeah, I mean, it, basically, Andy, the fighters have got to be brave. Obviously, that's just a, that's just a given in boxing because it's it's hard it's tough do you know what i mean it really is but fight uh, trainers who have been there have been through it managers you know you, you like to see them have a bit of compassion and experience do you know what i mean and understand where the fighter is and let the fighter keep his pride and don't leave him in there getting beat up or don't throw him in, like you say inspiring don't need no one's winning titles here in the gym no one's no one's getting paid you know all we want to see here is people get their distance, get their timing, work on their technique and their tactics and have a spar. You, there's got to be, you've got to let your shots go for it to be real and to have a level of intensity. But we don't want crash, bang, wallop. You know what I mean? Because no. who, who's benefiting from that? No, exactly. So there's a lot to, uh, it all comes back to the same thing. But getting back to young Dubois, look, that fight was going wrong anyway. And, you know, you know, and he, done the, he did do the right thing. He was badly injured. And like you said, I was looking at it at the time. Yeah, he's quit the fight. He still quit the fight, but he's quit it for a reason. And now we know it is the right reason. But that fight was going wrong anyway. So he's done the right thing because why get badly stopped anyway? Because that he wasn't going, he wasn't making the 12. You know, it was coming apart for him rapid. 
you know, Joe, Joe, Joe Joyce was about to start landing them big rights and them hooks would have come in, you know, so he was, he was spent. So it was good that the fight ended the way it did. And you heard what uh, Martin said as well. He, he only, he was only giving him another round anyway. Yeah, I think I think what made that one such a talking point was the fact that he looked like he was coping with the eye pretty well, as well as you as you could expect him to, and he didn't say anything to his corner. So they, as you say, that was going to be the last round unless things improved. And then he took one more punch on it, and, and that can I say to this to you? Though, can I, I'm going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works here now. Let's forget. I'm not really really into that young fella, Dubois. Now talking about something else. Yui was perfecting. Yeah. Ringside towards the late rounds after the seventh, eighth onwards, Yui took some full shots off Povetkin. You know, some serious shots off Povetkin. Actually, when you look at it back, because I was rings, I was obviously there looking at it. You know, but you know, when he come back, uh, come back in the dressing room, he had to get checked over the doctors. But he took a lot of headshots as well. So, like I said, you know, what, what do you do in situations like that? You know, so and Povetkin's a massive puncher, isn't he? As we know. He is, he is. So, just just one final thing on this. Um, do you think trainers' licences are given out too easily? Do you think there are enough checks and balances put in place to, to, to measure someone's competency, whether it's supervising sparring in the gym, whether it's their intricate knowledge of the sport to see the signs on the night, just, just all those aspects, do you think they're given out too easily? Yeah, I think you've got to know the human anatomy. You know, you've got to know how the fighters tick, you know, you've got to know what they go through and everything else. So you do need a level of experience. It's all right sitting in a room with 40 people doing an exam, you know, and I'm not saying that's wrong because I went I had to do one the other day. It was about a year ago. I took this licensing because I never had an Irish license. So I had to go to the Boxing Board of Control and get an English one. And it was enjoyable. It was, it was knowledgeable. But like I said, you know, do you box reading a book? You know, you don't do it. You know, so you've got to, it's got to be practice. You've got to have that knowledge there. That's what I'm saying to you. You know, there's a lot of, I'm not saying you need to be an old man to be a trainer, but what I'm saying is you need to have that understanding. You need to have, you need to be knowledgeable in the sport. Like anything else, you know, it's all right saying you can do this and do that. But when you're in big fights and the shit hits the fan, you know, you need to step up to the plate and know what to do in that corner. You know what, you got to, it's like anything else, you know, got to know what instructions to give out. You know, a lot of it, it's simple when you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, things can go wrong, can't they? I've seen more cowboys and chancers and blaggers in boxing. I don't think they could penetrate any other sport so easily at such a level that you see in boxing. You see a guy just hanging around a few gym, doing a few pads, can catch a few shots, and all of a sudden he's in the corner with some good fighter in a big fight. What the fuck does that guy know about boxing when it gets hard? Matt, I've had people, I've had people around me, and you know, because I'm a nice person, yeah, and I'm a God fearing man, and they're so dedicated and they're doing anything for you, they come in, and I said, Look, I said, Come on. I said, You cannot be in the corner. I said, I'll take you to this fight. I said, Go and get a license. So I said, I'll take you to the fight. It's easier now. I've got more to say in boxing. They're up there doing this and doing that. And, you know, they don't know nothing about boxing. I don't know how they got there. They've got there from being kind to them and letting them come somewhere and fulfilling a dream for them. And then it goes on from there. They play the association game. Do you know what I mean? Be around, I've been around such and such one. They're something. getting a picture here. They do the pads. They carry the sports bag, the water bottle, whatever. But they get in. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're a fucking 
authority on boxing? On what? <laughs> exactly. Based on what? Do you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. And, and and especially when you're thinking how brutal and dangerous boxing is, and you've got a guy, you know, the, this guy could be in the corner of a brutal fight, and he's got to make that decision. How's he going to make that decision? What, what, what experience is he going to call upon to make that decision? Now, there are, there are some, like anything, there are always exceptions to every rule. You do get the guys like your Angelo Dundee's who never boxed, but fantastic cornermen. They're the exception, not the rule. Okay, okay. I think that I think that rounds it up pretty nicely. This was just one I was always keen to do because I know and I'm perfectly willing to to admit that I am not wired in the same way that you two are, in the same way that people operating in the corner who know what they're doing and, and in the way that, that fighters are. It's a different way that you have of approaching things. And it was interesting hearing the conversation the last couple of weeks kind of move towards maybe the idea that we do expect too much of fighters. We do expect them to put themselves in too much danger. But then every boxer that I've heard commentate, uh, comment on the situation has basically said what you've said, Matt, and what you've said, Peter, which is quite simply, this is boxing and, and this is what we sign up for and we know the risks. And if it isn't for you, that's fine. You don't have to do it and you don't have to watch it. And you're, you're fighting, uh, Andy, let's put it this way. I'm a stickler on defence because if you haven't got a good defence, you're not making it in this sport. You know, so defence defense comes, then attack. You know, so it comes down to, again, that trainer, manager or whatever needs to know what they're doing. You know, you don't send fighters in there to get bulldozed or go in for the kill and then get flattened. You know, this is a sport, it's a technique, it's a high-skill high skill game. You know, intelligence wins world championships. You know, the tough guy with his nose all across his face and two cauliflower ears, you don't really see world champions looking like that. Yeah, because this is a sport. It's, a, it's about timing, it's skill set, it's riding them shots, and at the same time, it's protecting the fighter. So again, it comes down to, you've got to know what you're doing. And, it, you know, knowing what you're doing saves lives. Yep, I think that's as good a place as any to 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 leave it. It's been good fun. This uh, it's been been educational for me, definitely, and I think it will be for lots of people out there, out there listening. So, Peter, best of luck on Saturday night. Best of luck to everybody involved. Hope it all goes well. Everybody finishes healthy, and you get the result that that you want. And I'll be very interested to see how that whole card plays out. Actually, there's some good there's some good matches on it elsewhere too, and it will bring to an end with Sky anyway. A year like no other I mean just on that how have you I found your social media entertaining I found your Twitter entertaining over the over the last few months there was a great picture of you the other day wearing a kind of old pilot's helmet I don't know where you got that from um, but it's it's you, you seem to have managed to have keep, kept yourself entertained throughout this whole thing Do you know what it is you've got to have a bit of humour you know and I take the piss out of myself regularly you know because look I've got no chip on my shoulder I'm the normal person you know you've got to have a bit of, a bit of a laugh Boxing can be too serious at times, you know. So it, it is what it is, you know. And if, if I'm commenting on fights, I'm not being skitty to the fighter, you know. I, I like all fighters. I want them all to do well. You know, let's get off this liberal chair of worried of offending everybody and give a reality check. If a fighter needs work doing, best speak about it because he can read that tweet, go back in the gym and correct it. That's what it's for. You know, it's constructive criticism if there's any. 
you know, and that's what that's what our sport should be about. It's not about saying, oh, you know, let's not speak because I could upset the promoter, I could upset the trainer, I could upset this, upset that. You know, Jesus Christ, you know, let's get really, we're all men and we all want the best for our fighters. You know, how many times has people said to me, you know, Yui, always on the back foot, he's crap, he's this, he's that. And I've looked at it and thought, you know what, they've got to point these and, you know, probably right, you look shit. And I said to you, said, you know what, this is all negativity crap. Get in that ring. I said, learn your job properly. I said, get, get on the front foot more, chain your job up. You know, look, some people just come over and they are ignorant to the fact and, you know, they're being totally abusive. I don't even answer them. But constructive criticism is correct. You know, I get it and I accept it and it's correct. So if it's good and you're doing something wrong, get on with it. Improve your game. No, I, I agree completely with that. I've always found it much more useful than... I reckon I know what I'm good at. Um, it's much more useful to hear, as you say, constructively, what you're maybe not so not so good at. And this is what makes you perfect for Macklin's take because there's no point getting people on the podcast who aren't going to say anything. Um, so uh, that's why people were, were asking for you. We're asking for you back. as well. You too. You as always. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, that brings to an end our fight week podcast so three this week if something extraordinary happens on Saturday night then we may well be back uh, on Sunday we might convene on Sunday or Monday and, and have a have a look back at the uh, at the events from Wembley Arena but in any case we'll bring you a few more next week because we've got Callum Smith against Canelo on the 19th and that's an absolutely massive fight that's the biggest fight in, in world boxing really the Canelo fight and it's great to see Callum Smith finally get it and we'll probably round off before Christmas with a, a bit of a a bit of a, a look back with um, with some of our usual suspects. But in the meantime, if you do get the chance to give us a rate and, and write a review, uh, it does help. So that would be that would be great. And we'll catch you again soon. And old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right Not that Podcast Network.